Good morning. Please turn to the book of Acts, chapter 9. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness, for your mercy that's new every day, for your patience. Father, we thank you that you correct us, that you don't just let us go whatever way we would go, but you love us. Thank you for that. Thank you for this collection of believers, this flock that you've gathered together to follow the Good Shepherd. We pray that we would honor his name today. I pray that you'd protect me now from error and that you'd feed your sheep. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Acts 9, last time, if you remember, we read about a divine appointment. Do you remember? There was an angel that appeared to Philip and told him to leave Samaria and go down toward the south of Jerusalem, towards Gaza, on a spirit-led journey. We are not told that Philip was told exactly where he was going, just Go that way. Go that way. I have something for you to do. And Philip obeys the command of God. And you remember I I encouraged you, God often leads His people to do things and they don't know the whole story yet. And He still wants you to go. Do you understand that that requires faith? You don't have it exactly what's going to happen. He wants you to go in faith. And let me encourage you, follow the Lord's leading. Even if that's a dangerous place, that's safer than ignoring the will of God in a, quote, safe place. Philip obeyed the command of God. He left off for the place that we are told was a desert place. But he didn't know what God was going to do. He he obeyed and went. And what God was leading him to do was to have an encounter, Eric, this is interesting, with a foreigner who's also a eunuch, which we just read about in Sunday school from Isaiah 56. God will bless the foreigner who seeks him. He will bless the eunuch who seeks him. What about the foreign eunuch? Yes, him too. And we read of this Ethiopian who seemed to be a person of high position. He is the court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopia. And the scripture says he was in charge of all her treasure. And we discussed that that was probably not a small treasure, being the queen of Ethiopia. It was very likely a very large treasure. This person, this Ethiopian, must not have been given to money, as some are. Jesus said that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. This man is surrounded by money at all times. But he had just come from Jerusalem where he had gone to worship. And he seemed ready to believe the good news. God had prepared his heart. And he just so happened to be reading from the book of Isaiah. 
chapter 53. We are told that the section that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? The eunuch wants to know who was denied justice. The prophet himself or someone else? Who was like a sheep led to the slaughter? Isaiah or someone else? And the scripture says in verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. We are told Philip was told by the Spirit to go over and join the chariot of the Ethiopian who was reading out loud. Isaiah 53, the Spirit tells him, join that chariot. And he asked the Ethiopian, do you know what you're reading? Do you know the significance of it? Do you understand it? And the Ethiopian said, how can I? I need a teacher. Would you explain it to me? And Philip does explain it to him. This text is not about Isaiah. It's about Jesus. And he shared the good news about the Savior. Specifically, that Jesus bore the sins of his people. He, that's the good news, isn't it? There's forgiveness. There's a heavy burden on humanity. But in Jesus... That burden is lifted. The slaves are set free. Quote, in him, he, he bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. This is not what the word faith movement uses this verse for. Oh, you have a cold? I rebuke the cold in Jesus' name. That is not what this is speaking about. This is speaking about sin. By His stripes you're healed. By His wounds. Not healed from a cold. Not healed from muscular sclerosis. Not healed from diabetes. Sin. And certainly Jesus did heal people's earthly ailments, but that's not what Peter's speaking about. We are told in Romans 5, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. And in the context of the Scriptures, in this desert place, Verse 39, and when they came, excuse me, verse 38, no, uh, 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water, a rare occurrence in this desert place. Just as they get finished 
Jesus, excuse me, um, Philip telling him the good news about Jesus, they come upon water. The eunuch said, see, here is water! Exclamation point. What good timing this is. What prevents me from being baptized? Right here, right now, in that water. And the chariot is stopped, and they both go down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. A foreign eunuch, full member of the covenant of God. And they come up out of the water, Philip is carried away on some other mission in Azotus. So that's where we left off last time. Let's read today's text. We'll read 1 through 22 of chapter 9. But Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Verse 10, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias... And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. 
And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Amen. We first learned about Saul, if you remember, in chapter 8, right? The first few verses. If you look back to the beginning of chapter 8, this is during the stoning of Stephen. You see that? Verse 8, 1, Saul approved of his execution. Saul is one of the first to persecute the church. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Saul is very serious in his opposition against this breakaway sect. We're not told that he stoned Stephen, but he approved of it. He was there. And after that, he participated in rounding up the Christians and bringing them tied. House after house, we are told. Paul is seeking to destroy the church. He's at work. He's against the gospel. If we go back to 9, Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So some time has passed, right? We took a break from Saul and went to Philip and talked about his work in Samaria. And now Luke goes back to this Saul. He's continuing to make threats and murder against Jesus' disciples. And mostly Paul, Saul has been doing this in Jerusalem. But as we learn from Philip, the gospel is moving outside of Jerusalem. Many believers are being, many souls converted in Samaria. Paul hears of believers that are in Damascus. Listen, this is not that close to Jerusalem. Almost over 150 miles or close to 150 miles from Jerusalem. Saul hears about the gospel progress in those places and he says, I want to go there too and go house by house and bind those Christians, men and women, and I'll drag them back here and you can try them and execute them. Saul is, listen, 
If the Pharisees who are scheming and plotting are children of the devil, what is Saul? Who is his father? Directly responsible for the deaths of many Christians and the persecution of the bride of Christ. Verse 2, he asked him, the high priest that is, for letters. Basically, he wants a, he wants a pass. I'm going to go to those other places and I'm going to drag them here. Can you give me a permission letter? And I'll show them that I have been given authority to do such a thing. If any are found belonging to the way, I'm going to get them. I'll tie them up. And Saul is not alone, right? If he found dozens or hundreds of believers, one man is not going to be able to bring them back to Jerusalem. There are others with him. Verse 3, as he approached, or as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. Suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Now this is interesting. We are told in a different place in Acts that this happened at midday. So, you know, you're in the Middle East. It's midday. Is it bright outside? You know what I'm saying. You come outside sometimes. I I forgot my sunglasses. Man, I can't see anything. You know, you kind of squint. This light that suddenly comes upon Saul, how bright does it have to be to say that a bright light came upon him at midday? This is brighter than the light of the sun. Brighter than the light of the sun. It's the light of Jesus. Now, I don't know exactly what happened to Paul's eyesight, but, you know, welders have to take precaution because the light from the ark is too bright and it will burn your eyes out. It's too bright. And so that you've seen a welder's mask. Have you ever looked at an eclipse while wearing a welder's mask? You can look at it if you have a welder's mask. It's not too bright. Is that what happened to him? The light that shined on him was so bright it burned his eyes out. And he hears a voice. He falls on the ground because of this light. And he hears a voice saying to him, Saul... Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's getting close to Damascus, which is in Syria. All the evil he had planned was close at hand. Jesus appears to him. Verse 5 Who are you? Who are you, Lord? And Jesus answers him, I'm Jesus. You're persecuting me. 
Not just me, those who belong to me. I mean, if you think about it, by arresting Christians and having them put to trial, what he's really saying is, Jesus is not the Messiah. And this whole Christian sect is a lie, and we need to kill them to preserve the purity of Judaism. We know that Saul was a Pharisee. Jesus says, you're persecuting me. Verse 6, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Verse 7, here we are told explicitly, the men who are traveling with him, see, there's more people with him and they hear the voice too. This is not a, a psychological problem that Saul is having where he's hearing voices. Others heard it. And they stood speechless, hearing the words too, and seeing no one. Wouldn't you be speechless if all of a sudden we heard a voice from heaven in the room? But we don't see anyone who could possibly be speaking it? Verse 8, Saul rose from the ground, and though his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. From this experience, he's blinded. Three days, the scripture says he neither ate nor drank. Verse 10 through 12, Jesus speaks to Ananias, instructs him to go find and help Saul. Help him, quote, regain his sight. And Ananias has an... He seems to be a faithful man, but he has an objection right away. Are you sure... This dude is not playing around. We've heard about it 150 miles north of Jerusalem. He's rounding up people. People are afraid. People are hiding probably. He has authority from the chief priests, verse 14, to bind all who call on his name. Verse 11, go back to 11. The Lord said, go to the street house. The, the house that's on the street called Straight. Look for a man of Tarsus. He's seen you in a vision. He's seen you in a vision. You're going to go there and re- help him recover his sight. So they go back to verse 15. The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. See, this is interesting. He used to be an instrument for evil, right? Satan was using him. Using him to persecute God's people. To inflict physical harm on them. But now he's an instrument for good. This is what God does in the gospel. He takes the guerrilla war troops, the rebels, and turns them into 
Christian soldiers. These fighters that used to fight him and rebel and have constant terrorism attacks against his people. God changes them into Christian soldiers and they become ministers of reconciliation and go around the whole earth to every place. What were tools for the devil become instruments for good. And God tells Ananias even further, He will carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. This man who has been killing Christians and binding them and dragging them, going house to house, searching anywhere for them, he will not stay in that state. I'm, he is going to preach the gospel to kings. And he's going to suffer for my name. And by the way, that's not unique to Saul. It's been appointed for all Christians that we suffer. Some. And become like our Savior. This idea that God doesn't want anything bad to happen to you. No hard times are from God. That is a lie. It is a lie. Jesus was crucified, quote, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God purposed that hard times would come to Jesus. He planned it. Judas predestined to betray Jesus. And if they do that to the master, what will they do to the students of that master? Suffering is a part of Christianity. But it's a, it's, a, it's a point of perspective, isn't it? We are told, far from running away from trials, we should actually consider it joy. Now listen... <laughs> These things that we experience, we, I don't think we would call them joy. But the scripture says, if we have the right perspective about it, we'll know that God used it for our good. We will know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. And our faith needs perseverance. We don't need to be like the seed that fell on the shallow ground and as it grew, the heat of the sun scorched on it and it withered because it had no deep root. But as we go through trials and difficulties, what happens is we become hardy. We used to be soft and weak, but after trials and testing, we've become hardy Christians.
So keep the right perspective. It's predestined that trials will come upon you. Learn from it. Develop steadfastness and perseverance. Sixteen, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house, laying his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is interesting. Brother Saul, what a surprise to hear that those two words put together. Brother Saul. We're part of the same family now. We have the same father. And the Bible tells us immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. One commentator said, As soon as Ananias put his hands upon him, referring to the scales, they dropped off, which were an emblem and representation of the scales of ignorance, of himself, of sin, of righteousness, of the law, of the gospel, and of Jesus as the Messiah, and of unbelief in him. And of pride, malice, and envy, and of superstition and bigotry, and of error and false doctrine, which upon his being enlightened by the Spirit of God fell from him. When we say that salvation is of the Lord, this is what we mean God causes us to be born again, He changes us. And you might say, well, but Brother Bill, which one happens first? Regeneration or faith? Because many misunderstand and they say faith comes first and then regeneration. But even, listen, we're not Southern Baptists, even though we have a lot of history in our church. Many of us were part of Southern Baptist churches in the past. In the Word or the, the faith and message of 1963, listen to what their confession says. Regeneration is a gift of the Holy Spirit, whereby the sinner responds with faith and repentance. That is what we believe. Regeneration is a gift. When we say it is of God's grace that no man may boast, that's what we mean. God gifted Saul with regeneration. And he responded with faith and repentance. The natural mind cannot accept the things of the Spirit. The things of the Spirit, it's a different language. They don't know how to speak it. But upon God's touch of the heart, now they understand the things of the Spirit. Not merely understand. They accept. They believe it. Paul is regenerated and made alive. He can see. Physically again, yes, but spiritually. And we are told... 
Then he rose and was baptized. Not to harp on this point, but we're Baptists because we believe that faith should be evident before baptism. Repentance should come before baptism. We do not testify that the physical act of plunging or immersing in water removes sin. It does not. God removes sin. Baptism has not replaced circumcision as the sign of the covenant. That is wrong. Circumcision is still the sign of the covenant. Heart circumcision. When God looks at the heart of His people, He sees the sign of the covenant. And He remembers the covenant that He made. Why? Because His Holy Spirit has been put there as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Guaranteeing. So, he's regenerated, he believes, and he's baptized. And he receives the Holy Spirit before all of that. So he's no longer an enemy of Jesus. He's now a brother of the faith. He's now filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, And taking food, he was strengthened. We we were told just before this that he neither ate nor drank for three days. Now, not eating for three days can be done, and it's not really that difficult. But not drinking for three days is very difficult. You will become very weak. And if not die, very weak. We are told that he ate and he was strengthened. And he began preaching right away. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, verse 19, verse 20. He immediately, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. He began preaching right away. And if you remember later, Paul will defend his gospel and he'll say, listen, don't say I was influenced by somebody and my my gospel message is not pure. Jesus met me and talked to me directly. He told me what I was supposed to do. You, You think that I was influenced by somebody? I didn't care what they said until Jesus met me and changed me. He showed me the truth. He is the Son of God. The saving light of Jesus fell upon him. And he became a minister of reconciliation. Verse 21, and all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? They're they're saying he wouldn't even be in Damascus right now. The whole reason he's here is to drag us off. You're saying he's a brother now? Be sure. 
This is not the first time that people will question the validity of his salvation. When he goes to Jerusalem, they do not receive him at first. This dude is evil. This is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Be careful. Until Barnabas vouches for him, then they accept it. Verse 22, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Instead of using the authority that he had from the chief priests to bind Christians and drag them off, listen, this is beautiful. Instead of using the authority of the chief priest to bind the Christians, he used the authority of Jesus to free the slaves, to unbind them from the power of Satan. He proved to them. He confounded them. He grew in strength. He proved Jesus is the Christ. Believe, don't reject like I did. I was wrong. He showed them from the Old Testament, right? At this point, there's no New Testament. These books were not going to be collected and written for decades. I mean, we're, we're in the 30s at this point. He showed them from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. In Galatians, he talks about this and says, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him. 15 days. It's Galatians chapter 1. This man who persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it and was advancing in Judaism. Don't you think he was a hero to the other Pharisees? Go get him, Paul. Go, go get him, Saul. Tie him up. Bring him in here. You see, God set me apart before I was born. He called me by His grace. He changed me. And told me the gospel. That's why Paul sometimes refers to himself as the chief of sinners. In his mind, he's like, what's the worst thing you could do to Jesus? Abuse His bride? 
He's like, I tried to kill the church. The very thing that Jesus came to create, I tried to kill it. I'm the worst. If God is able to change his heart, what about yours? And you may say, Paul's wrong. He's not the chief. I'm the chief. He never met me. That's why he calls himself the chief. You're all the chief. The sin that you have would have taken you down to the grave and your name remembered no more. Into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But God is merciful. He changed your heart. And you might say, well, Brother Bill, but I was brought up in a Christian home. I can hardly remember a time that I didn't love Jesus. Listen, God has no grandchildren. You're not saved because your parents are saved. God changed your heart. And if he did it early, praise be to his name. He saved you from a lot of foolishness and grief. And if he saved you old, Praise be to God's marvelous grace. Your sins were high as the mountains, and God forgave it and cleansed you of all unrighteousness. And isn't that what the blood of Jesus does? It cleanses us from all sin, even very bad sin. Even the worst sin. There's not a question about... Is his blood worthy? Is it good enough? How strong is its cleansing power? He saved Paul. He saved Paul. He can save you. Would you go to him? Would you believe he's the Christ and that God raised him from the dead? Because Jesus says, all who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. He came to save sinners. If sinners come to him, why would he cast them out? He wants them to come. Will you come? Many of you have come already. And I know I've seen your faith in action. And if anyone in here does believe and you've not come forward, if you've not been baptized, obey the Lord. If you believe, you should be baptized. That's the order. Believe and be baptized. That we can praise God, too, with you. Believe. You'll be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for that. That you've... Oh Lord, the gospel goes around to all places. We've heard it. But different from others, you helped us to pay attention. You saved us. You didn't leave us in darkness, but you opened our eyes and our understanding to believe. And we pray that you'd help us to believe more, to cling to the truth that Jesus came to save sinners. 
to heal the sick. Oh Lord, we confess that we're sinners. We've been prideful. We've been arrogant. We've been selfish. We've been angry. We've coveted. Oh Lord. Please help the church. Help us, Lord, to love you more. Help us to dwell on the beauty of the gospel. Even to sing songs, to praise you and give thanksgiving publicly. And we ask that you would add to our number those who are being saved, that we can encourage one another and build up the church into a city on a hill. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.